Amen. Thank you, worship team. That was fabulous. And wow, this is a great, this is a great room. What an atmosphere, right? Like I wasn't expecting this. I was really hoping for one last night outdoors for the safety and all that. But I appreciate all of you being here. And I like how we're spaced out as much as possible right now, if, if you can call it that. But we're, we're making an effort, right? Um, well, hey, I do want to acknowledge something that Brian just prayed about. And that is at the start here, this is a tough season for many of us. There's chaos all around us, and there's a lot of people in our church who have been laid off, who, and we're, I think we're all feeling effects of the, the circumstances. We're all feeling pain. And not to diminish that at all, but in the midst of the storm that we're currently facing, I really sense the Spirit is moving. And he is doing something in our church. And there's some awesome things that I've been able to see, opportunities that have been able to come up uh, that we've been able to deal with over the last couple months. And this series has been perfect. It's, been, it's come at a perfect time for me in my life, these verses that we've been seeing. And I know it's the same for many of you that I have talked about. So if you're joining us for the first time, I'm really glad you're here. If I haven't met you yet, I hope I can meet you afterwards. Please stay afterwards. You know, we were planning this big kickball game. You know, it looks like we can do better. You know, we'll, we'll save that for another time. So you won't have to watch, watch us embarrass ourselves. But at least stay for the tacos. And I, I mean, if, if you weren't planning on that, I would love to buy you tacos myself if, it was your, if it's your first time. So don't leave after the service. Stay with us for that. And uh, now we're going to get into the good stuff here. Um, we're going to get into the message tonight, the Word of God. And we're not going to be in Ephesians 6. Believe it or not, we're not ending this series in Ephesians 6. So take your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And the same points that I made four weeks ago, same points I made three weeks ago, two weeks ago, all of these points are coming full circle tonight. From the outset, from Ephesians 6.10 on, we have been seeing something very, very crucial that people don't always understand. And that is the spiritual warfare battle is a battle that is fought in your mind. It is in your thoughts and what you process and what you think about. And tonight we're going to conclude this series by going to another angle of Scripture, seeing one more passage on the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in. And I'm calling this message the complete soldier. Everyone wants to be complete. We just don't always know how to get there, right? Being complete is something that we all crave and we all need. And so if you will look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to begin, we're going to begin right there in verse 1. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and read this in a second. But before we dive in, I know we're just diving into a new book. And some of you have been with us for over a year. And you'll remember we did a series in the book of 1 Corinthians so let me lay a little bit of context before we just dive in here. Hopefully you found Corinthians already, 2 Corinthians. But if you remember in that called out series, we were going through this book of 1 Corinthians and we saw so many things that the Corinthians were just off on. Like Paul had this list of things that he had to actually address, kind of a shocking list of stuff that they were struggling with. And you could say the Corinthian church was full of character. Okay, they, they were colorful, I could say. Uh, and you know how we use that word colorful, right? It's like, oh, man, back in the day, they, 
they did some stuff. <laughs> they say some stuff. You don't always know what's going to come out of their mouth. It's a colorful character. That is what the Corinthian church was because, wow, ooh, they had, they had some issues that they've been working through. And if you remember from 1 Corinthians, Paul, as he went through all the things that they were called out from, he was calling them out. He was saying, hey, look, you've been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. And this is your new identity now. Very similar to what we've been seeing in the book of Ephesians, in a sense. And now in 2 Corinthians, the sequel, he is taking this to a whole other level. They still had vestiges of false teachers. They still had problems that had actually escalated since the first letter. And we're not starting a new series in 2 Corinthians. I kind of want to. <laughs> that will happen some point and some, sometime down the road. But I say all that to say where we're dropping into this conversation, Paul is in the middle of combating some error. He is about to reference some of the exact same things that we've seen in Ephesians about spiritual warfare. And with that context in mind, now we can jump into this conversation, chapter 10, verse 1, and see how Paul says there's three specific ways that you and I can become the complete soldier by destroying the falsehoods that are out there with truth. So let's look at verse 1 without any further ado. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So do you feel Paul's tone right here? I know we just jumped into this, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and it's, it's, it's picking up intensity. But I hope you can see that, first of all, Paul is entreating the Corinthians. That means he is begging them, he's pleading, he's making appeal to them right here. He's saying, hey, look, I don't want to have to roll up my sleeves and come in there with a hammer. I don't want to do that. It's like, don't make me come over there. I won't take any pleasure in it, but I will do it if I have to do it. And I have personally a lot of peacemaker friends. There's a lot of peacemakers in our life group. And I'm not a nine. Um, I kind of secretly enjoy confrontation, maybe a little bit too much. And uh, it's not always Christ-like, but just dropping in the middle of shots being fired here, you know, it, it gets, me, gets my blood pumping a little bit and, and flowing. We have to stay focused on, though, because in these next two verses, Paul is setting up the first way that you can destroy strongholds and the, the, the falsehoods that those are. It's by becoming a complete soldier. And did you catch how he set it all up? This is the first step, point number one. Have compassion and courage with competence. Have courage, have compassion, but have it with competence. So he is opening this by talking about the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. And the best soldiers, they use war as only a last resort. 
only if they have to do it. They don't want to do it unless it's absolutely necessary. They have no other options. They're going to seek peace extensively before they ever engage in warfare because they want to resolve the issue without bloodshed or carnage. And that's Paul right now. He begins this chapter with verse 1 as a compassionate message to say, look, the defectors, y'all need to listen. And then you see the second part of verse 1. He says, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am absent. Now think about that for a second. Does that sound like the Paul that we know? Is Paul, is Paul this guy who is just meek when he's face to face, super, super weak, maybe? Um, and then when he's absent, bold and in your face? Is that Paul? As a matter of fact, it's not Paul at all. Um, Paul is actually using sarcasm here because after the first letter, when you, when you look at everything that's going on, the Corinthian critics were saying, hey, Paul, that guy, when he's with you face to face, he's wimpy, he lacks courage. And then when he goes you away, he writes you these fierce letters and uh, he's all strong. He's, he's a coward in person and he's only bold behind the pen. That's what his critics were saying, you know, or the quill or whatever writing utensil he had. But they were calling him a coward. So Paul turns the table with sarcasm and says, you who say I'm meek when face to face and bold when I'm absent, will let me be meek when I'm absent for a moment and urge you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. He's making this point with sarcasm, but he's pleading with them, not because he's weak, but because he is compassionate. And that's the same thing that Jesus modeled. Jesus always showed that he had humility and compassion and patience. Jesus was anything but weak, but he always called for sinners to repent before they face judgment. He's long-suffering. That's the character of God, giving chance after chance after chance. And with Paul, there's no anger here. There's no personal vengeance. He's just showing the same kind of patience and love that Jesus had. So there's a tenderness side to the complete soldier. There's meekness. And second, secondly, there's also courage. Look again at verse 2. He's saying, uh, I'll, I'll read it again, verse 2. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some of us who suspect that I'm walking according to the flesh. So again, there's this tenderness side to the complete soldier. And now he's saying, look, I will, if I have to, I will be bold. I'd rather not do that if I had my choice. I would like to not have to do that. Let's work it out now. But the second half of this verse identifies the people that he's actually talking to. It's against those who regard us as having walked according to the flesh. Those are the people who treat him as if he's some greedy, proud person driven by inner corruption. And he says, if you call me corrupt and you're slandering me, saying that I'm a cowardly person when face-to-face, -face, but only bold when I'm absent. Hey, I will be courageous, and I'll take a stand. Humble compassion, confident courage, those are the first two characteristics of a good soldier on this present earth and in spiritual warfare. But the rest of this passage identifies the third component that we have to have, and there's competence there. That's what is being set up. It's necessary to be humble. It's necessary to be compassionate, absolutely critical to be courageous and confident through the Holy Spirit. But those two alone won't cut it without the third characteristic of being a complete soldier. You have to have capability, 
A complete soldier needs skill in wielding the sword. You need the competency to, to build up to be able to pray with sword in hand. The Christian soldier, as we engage in spiritual warfare, has to be bold and fearless, has to be patient, but he also has to be competent. And this is where a lot of Christians get stuck. They actually don't get this third piece. If you're a child of God, oftentimes the first thing that you get is confidence and boldness. Not all the time. This isn't true for everyone. But, but more often than not, when I see a brand new Christian, they're the first people that are out there on the front lines telling people who don't know Jesus that they should know Jesus. You, you realize that? Now, I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. I'm just making an observation. That's kind of the way it is. Usually Christians get boldness right away, and usually compassion is something that they have to develop and they have to grow into. Now, that's not always the case. Sometimes they start out with compassion and they have to grow in boldness. But the tendency is for Christians to, as, as they start getting compassion, they actually sometimes start losing their boldness. And it gets out of sync. It gets out of balance. And, and one of the ways that happens is because they don't grow in competency. And this piece doesn't develop right. To be the complete package, you have to have all three. Because we need to be using all three. Think about it this way. If you want to have a really good coffee shop, what do you need to be the complete package of a coffee shop? I mean, I used to work at Starbucks. I still study in coffee shops all the time. If anybody would know this, it should be me, okay? To have a good coffee shop, you need, first of all, really good coffee. You need to have a good product. Secondly, you need a good atmosphere, you know, maybe some good music playing, like some nice seats, just a, a welcoming atmosphere. And then third, you need friendly people. The baristas need to have a smile on their face. They need to, they need to show you that you're welcome, right? Does that make sense? If, you're, if, you're, if you have two of those three things, you may have a good coffee shop, but it's not great. Likewise, with a church, and I mean, this is a little bit of a stretch, but not completely. We're going to simplify it and boil it down as a church, right? There's a lot of things that a church is going to do. A church has to be on mission. We're going after it. You know, we're, we're doing things through the power of the Holy Spirit that we never thought were possible, things that are wilder than our imagination. That's part of the church. So I'm not trying to oversimplify here. But if you're going to be a great church, you need to preach the word of God. You need to apply it to your life, the truth. You have to have that product. You have to have an atmosphere where you can worship and the Holy Spirit can move and his presence is there. You have to have that atmosphere piece. And thirdly, you need to have a welcoming environment. You need to have a community of people who walk alongside each other and love each other. Do you see that? Now, that's the simplified version. But if you're missing one of those, you don't have the complete package. When you boil it down, you have to say, look, I need all three of these. Now, I can feel some of you out here. You're like, all right, David, I got this. I got it. I want to be complete. But how can I learn competency? This is where you are responsible, okay? The church can't force this upon you. I mean, we're responsible to come alongside you, to disciple you. But we can't force you to be faithful on Sunday. The church cannot force you to commit yourself to community, to set down the phone and to pick up the Bible. I mean, your mom can do that. A mom can do that for her kid, but we can't do that for you. You play a part in becoming the complete full package of a soldier for Jesus Christ. Just like anything in Christ, it takes some dedication and it takes some work 
through the power of the Holy Spirit on your end. And we saw a huge piece of that last week with Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, the six facets of how to pray with sword in hand. And right here in these next two verses, we're going to see the other two ways that you can be complete. It's not just becoming competent. There are two other ways to specifically destroy falsehoods with truth. So look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Point two is wage war with divinely empowered weapons divinely empowered weapons. Now, Paul just got done a verse earlier saying that he doesn't walk according to the flesh. So like as you translate it into this English, this can be a little confusing because you're like, wait a minute, Paul, you just said you weren't walking according to the flesh. And now we're saying that my weapons are not fleshly. Is What he's saying here, though, not to get confused, is just he is human. He's a human being walking physically. That's who he is. But the weapons that he uses are not going to be of the flesh. They need to be of the spirit. They need to be spiritual weapons that have divine power to be complete. So what's the difference between a fleshly human weapon and a divinely empowered weapon? Well, first, let's talk about a weapon, weapon of the flesh. What would that look like? Human reason would be one. Arguments of rationalism. Human strategies, ingenuity, organization, skill, entertainment, religious showmanship, philosophical, psychological speculations, the mystique of the mystics, artificial atmospheres, creating artificial environments. These are all weapons of the flesh. And they are very effective to a certain degree. On a certain level, you better believe those things are going to work. We use these things to sell houses, to sell cars, to sell suits, to sell garbage disposals, right? I mean, we can use these things effectively. You can use these to have money, money come in for your charity. You can use these things to have someone vote for your, your political proponent or against your political opponent. All of that is done on a human level. You can make people feel more emotionally stable. But all of those things that you use, the fleshly human weapons of reason and intellectualism, all these things have a shelf life. They don't last forever. As crafty as those are in the right hands, those weapons are like a pea shooter in comparison to the spiritual armor of God. It's literally like that Nerf gun that my boys have with the orange tip at the ends. When you compare human weapons of reason to the divinely empowered weapons, it's no contest. And those weapons are completely ineffective to wage spiritual battles for truth in your mind. They're not going to last. Only God's weapons can destroy strongholds. Only prayer and the word of God can renew the mind. Meditating on the truth of the gospel and being empowered by the spirit, those are the only weapons that can radically transform you from a selfish person living for your, what you desire to a sacrificially loving person who is gracious and kind and is ready to love others. See, bitterness is a spiritual stronghold. Unforgiveness is a spiritual stronghold. Uncontrolled lust, another spiritual stronghold. And not only are the weapons of the flesh not going to cut it, they may win temporary victories. They may mask symptoms for a season, but they will be completely impotent to win final victory, final spiritual victory, which is what we're all going for. 
Have you ever felt like you were missing something? Maybe it's in your career. You were doing everything by the book, but something was missing. Maybe you've hit your financial goals. Maybe you've found success more in your craft more than you ever dreamed of. But you still feel like you're missing something. I think there's people right now, probably in this room, who feel like they're missing something. Maybe in your marriage. Maybe in your relationship with your children, your adult children. If you are feeling like you're missing something, it's most likely the fact that you're missing the element of Jesus Christ in the spiritual truth and the spiritual peace that he brings. I've gone stretches of my life where I've missed the wonder and the, the excitement and the awe and the mystery of my faith. I understood it logically. I could defend it theologically. But having compassion and courage and knowledge and answers isn't the complete package. There's more. There's unexplainable power behind the Holy Spirit. And you have to graduate beyond the psychological human weapons and the motivational weapons to the spiritually empowered weapons to win this victory. The breastplate of righteousness is one of those weapons. Making a conscious decision to obey God no matter what is at stake. Following the will of God by loving others and putting God first is going to open you up to a place of surrender where you are filled with the Spirit and you're carried along by Him to wage war and to, and to go on new borders, beyond new borders. But the only way to get there is to set down the human weapons of eloquence, personality, cleverness, scholastic credentials. You set that down and you pick up the divinely empowered weapons. So I hope you understand what those look like. Now let's talk about the good ones, the ones that are going to actually make an eternal difference. And that's what we've been in this whole series. This is where it comes full circle. The belt of truth. Remember we talked about this. It's aligning your thoughts with the truth of God's word. So you compare and contrast every thought with does it match and is it aligned with who God says I am in his word, with what God says about this world. If it doesn't match, it's false. It's a lie, and you need to get rid of it. The breastplate of righteousness, walking in obedience and following the will of God. We just talked about that. You have the shoes of the gospel of peace. You need to be rehearsing the gospel in your mind. The shield of faith. This is trusting in the full reliance on independence on God. And the helmet of salvation. This is persevering through hope in the elements of your salvation, your justification, your sanctification, and your coming glorification. And then you take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Those are the divinely empowered weapons. And do you notice how they all are centered around the Word of God and the gospel, and they all are a battle that's in your mind? Don't expect to win with your human wisdom. You could be smarter than Elon Musk. You could really be the inventor of the next big thing, the mastermind behind it. But the real battle isn't what we can touch and feel. It's truth in your thoughts. Let's look again at verse 5. And I'm going to read that one. Because this is the third action point in how you become the complete soldier. 
verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is how we destroy spiritual, deeper level strongholds. We destroy them with truth by point number three, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It's right there in the text. And we've all heard the phrase, you are what you think. Is that completely true? You know, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about half-truths in this series, and I would say that's not always completely true. Uh, it, God says you are loved even if you don't always think it. And if you have an untrue thought that arises from your feelings or your emotions that don't align with the truth of who God says you are, that's not right. But Proverbs 23, 7 does say that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So I would say that you are becoming what you think. That's for sure true. If, if, if you let falsehoods permeate your thinking, you're going to start eventually believing them and they will tear you down spiritually. And this is what the complete soldier has to do, though. It's his ground zero for the spiritual warfare. Control your thoughts. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And I love Paul's imagery here. He's painting this picture of a stronghold that's coming down. And in verse 5, he defines what the stronghold is. Do you see that, the definition? It's not demons. What is it? It's arguments. It's every lofty opinion. That's the Greek word logismos. And it means thoughts, ideas, opinions, reasonings, philosophies, theories, ideologies, religions. That's where the battle is. It has to do with our thoughts. Those are the forts in which men hide. They're ideological forts, philosophical forts, religious forts. People try to hide themselves there, fortify themselves against God and against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have to tear down. Notice, these fortresses do not say we're going demon hunting. Spiritual warfare is not you charging against Satan in a sense that I'm running after him, screaming like a lunatic, and I'm going to take him down. That's not it. We've been seeing this in this series. You stand firm against the attacks of the devil. You put on the whole armor of God to stand strong. Now, Satan is a schemer. He's coming after you. But 99.9% .9 of what he schemes, what he plans, doesn't even come true. God doesn't allow it to happen. Satan has to get permission to come after you and attack you. He got permission to attack Job. Satan had to get permission. He, he actually tried to get permission to go after Peter. Jesus mentions that. The battle between the demons goes on between the angels. Okay, Gabriel and Mark, Michael, the archangels, the archangels, we see them fighting the demons, okay? You as a soldier of Jesus Christ need to stay in your lane. What has he called you to do? And that is the battle is going to be waged in my mind. And with the truth that I'm thinking about, that I'm meditating on, we cannot get in over our head. Paul's graphic imagery is when you destroy those ideological fortresses of falsehood with the battle of truth and the way you think, you can take your thoughts captive. You can control your thoughts. You can say, you know what? I'm not going to think that anymore because that's not true. Not today, Satan. We're under new management. So get out of here, and you take that thought, and you kick it to the curb. It's gone. 
I'm going to focus on what is true. To be a complete soldier, we cannot miss this one. We have to control our thoughts on a deeper spiritual level. Level. You have to be competent in praying with sword in hand. You have to meditate on the truths of Scripture to the point where you're saying, no, that thought is bogus. It doesn't line up with God's word. I'm not going to let that assumption linger any longer. I'm not going to go there. There's always a negative to look at. I mean, that's another thing we have seen throughout this series. Life is not a bed of roses. We live in this present darkness, and there is sin in this world. It's very apparent. Is all you have to do is open your eyes. It doesn't defeat us if we have Jesus Christ. It's not the end. It's going to be wiped away one day. But if you're looking for it, you're going to find it. And you have to take captive your incorrect thoughts before they start to tear you down. So become competent with the word of God. Read it. Memorize it. Talk about it. Pray through it. Use the full spiritual arsenal. And take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's what we're called to do. If it doesn't match what Jesus says for you, get rid of it. So spiritual warfare. I think it's finally time that we define spiritual warfare. There's a lot of thoughts and concepts about spiritual warfare out there. I know a lot of people have the edgy, you know, demon hunting side to spiritual warfare. But what is spiritual warfare? It's simply the battle in your mind to destroy falsehoods with truth. That's how I define spiritual warfare. The battle in your mind to destroy falsehoods with truth. Do you see that in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5? That's what it is. And if you want to fight this battle, you learn scriptures and you learn how to deal with error. Learn how to confront error with the truth. You don't have to be a pastor to do that. Error falls only before the truth. Rebellion ends when truth prevails, and that's what we do. We preach the truth, we listen to the truth, we consume the truth. That's how Paul started his entire book to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he described his ministry from the very beginning. If you want to turn back there, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'll just read this for a second. And as I do this, worship team, you can come up. But this is what Paul says about his ministry. This is nothing new. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and with the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what you have to think about. That's what you have to focus on. And I mentioned earlier that Jesus Christ is the answer. If you're missing something, it's him. And if you have him and you still feel like you're missing something, you need to get closer to him. And you need to read his truth. The battle in your mind is won or lost with your view of the cross. 
Jesus loves you. He came to this earth and he sacrificed his life for you. And you can, by faith, turn from your old way, from your sin, from whatever you were living for before you found Christ. And you can say, I confess that. I repent of my sin. And Jesus, I believe you love me. You died for me and you rose again. By grace, through faith, you can find the answer. His name is Jesus. A relationship with your creator is what you were meant to have. And you're not going to be able to even begin to be a complete soldier unless you first of all start with the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the ultimate answer. And we've talked a lot in this series. And you can even back up further throughout the entire book of Ephesians about your identity in Jesus Christ, who you are, who does God say you are. That's been a recurring theme. But I want to turn to one more passage of Scripture, and if you can take your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans is another book back from 1 Corinthians. But let's look from God himself to see what he says about you. A soldier who can stand firm. It even gets better than standing. Look at this. Romans 8, verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get an amen for that? Do you see the spiritual overtones right there? The demons can't stop you. These spiritual rulers and forces, they're not going to be able to phase you through the power of Jesus Christ. Through him, you are more than conquerors. So it goes beyond just standing firm. That's part of it. But it goes past that, and we can get victory. We can win through the victory of Jesus Christ. Satan is fighting battles, but he has already lost the war because Jesus, on the cross, already defeated sin and death. And we can have victory through his victory. That's who we are. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Let's stand up. And let's respond to this truth with one more song as we praise our God and our Savior for the victory that he gives us.